Welcome to Eucharist Podcast, where we're exploring what it looks like for a community of disciples to live all of life in reference to Christ. Welcome to the Eucharist Podcast. I'm Father Joshua. I'm Father Ryan. Uh, Father Kyle. And Elizabeth Jones. And this is our post-Holy Week special, where we're going to look back over Holy Week and process um, the events and give our kind of our takes on what went on. So let's start it off. What starts off Holy Week, Ryan? Well, it was a week of five services, and it starts uh, officially on Palm Sunday. Um, some churches, by the way, do what's called Passion Sunday, which is sort of a combination of Palm Sunday and then moving straight to the death of Jesus. They read one of the other gospel accounts. You always read the Gospel of John on, on, um, on Good Friday. So a lot of churches will then move to another gospel reading. We decided, we opted to hold on the Passion Sunday part of things. It, in order to be able to lean into the full, um, the full rhythm of the week, to actually take the whole pilgrimage through uh, from Palm Sunday all the way to Easter Sunday. And that's really how we framed this whole thing, was a, a pilgrimage of love, trying to move into time, move into the, into the events of Jesus Week together as a community. So, yeah, so it started at Palm Sunday. Um, Elizabeth, why don't you tell us about, we had a lot of palms there, and you got those palm fronds. Yeah, talk about the deals he got. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. A purchaser never reveals their secrets. But um, <laughs> The flower market, folks. I, I think that just, just the decor of Holy Week, I mean, I think it really does affect us. Like when we walk into a space and it's been prepared a certain way. So we had a couple 15-foot um, palm branches and a you know, I don't know, about 40 or so other palm branches on top of that. She, she's being modest. They were actually 15 and a half feet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it did look different. It felt different in there. Yeah, it felt different. I mean, I mean, the sense, I think, is you're really entering a distinct time. And the whole movement from, I mean, we'll, we'll get through all the different services, but really the decor changes throughout. And even during the service, the decor changes for a couple services. That is, there is this transition that the community goes through. And so having... I mean, it is a culture, right? And cultures have symbols. Cultures have um, things that really capture and encapsulate the community within a certain time and space. And so, I mean, that was part of it. Yeah, so so Palm Sunday begins differently as well, too. Kyle, why don't you tell us about the, the processions and stuff? Yeah, so we what we try to do is we reenact what happened on that morning in Jerusalem when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, so we all start out um, in the hallway, I guess, because of... The, just the structure of our church and and we do a little liturgy of the blessing of the palms and then we all process together in song and and it's a really joyful time when we really like allowed Christ the King to enter into our space uh, and then we stop at the narthex and we read Psalm was it one eighteen yeah the first yeah we that. saw read Psalm one eighteen and then we continued the procession all the way up into the front of the altar um, and this is something that we did differently than what I've done in previous churches we actually laid our palms in front of the altar. Hmm. Um, and I felt like it was it was a good picture because uh, when we think about Christ coming and meeting us in our worship services, it happens at the altar. Mm. And so we're literally laying our palms where he's going to be, mm. um, symbolically, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was a very cool picture of what takes place on Palm Sunday. And yeah. that psalm actually speaks about palm fronds, and it speaks about the altar, mm-hmm. and so it's really an acting yeah. out and, and a fulfillment of that. Yeah, and it's, a, and it's a psalm of ascent, so this is this is something that Jesus would have been reciting on his way into Jerusalem. Yeah, mm-hmm. the psalm actually says, take, uh, taking the palm branches up to the four horns of the altar, which is thinking of the altar in Jerusalem, but 
for us, we have, we have an altar. And so we did that. And then I picked up on that in the sermon that I preached and talked about how uh, we talked about disappointment, about how, about how this was, this event is actually s- sort of ironic to celebrate because it's a giant disappointment. Jesus didn't actually become the king in this moment when everyone thought he was ready to do that. And so the week turns out to be not anything like anyone expects. And so the invitation to bring our palm branches is to sort of take the uh, all the projected dreams and hopes we have for God or, or Jesus and actually lay them down at, in front of the altar and go, okay, wh- wh- whatever you actually do is better than what we can imagine. So that was kind of where we began. And, and and then it's quiet, basically, for a few days. Stuff's happening in the week of Jesus, but we don't celebrate anything until Thursday. So uh, let's talk about Thursday. Joshua, why don't you tell us a little about Thursday? Well, before we get to that, I think one of the things about the uh, Palm Sunday um, service that really resonated with me or that I really enjoyed was actually how we all processed and how mm. it was almost kind of a throwback to what some of the procession kind of originally was where all of the people processed. It wasn't just cl- clergy and acolytes. Yeah. And just that kind of embodiment and that enactment of history in that way. Mm. Like there's just something about physically having the palms and not just even just those small little leaves of it, but like the full palm branches. Um, at Eucharist and, and laying them at the altar, like it was really impactful and really kind of helped. For me, it really helped kind of kick off Holy Week in a very special way because I felt like I was there in Jerusalem, you know, 2,000 years ago in a way. Yeah, and we should also say that the the color, uh, so some of you listeners would know that that in liturgical churches, the, the, the color of the fabric um, and whatever's hanging in the space changes based on the seasons. And all throughout Lent, it's purple. Uh, which is the color of penitence and the color of royalty, and and then in Holy Week we shift to red. Uh, red is is the color of of the passion. The red red is the color of the Holy Spirit, and so we we recognize there's something different about this week here. So anyway, there's that combination of sort of the green of the palms and the red of of the fabric, which is sort of think, makes you think of the blood of Jesus. And um, yeah, it creates a really strong contrast. Yeah. between what we were just doing in Lent feels very different. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's also a little bit of a throwback in a memory, I mean, of of the incarnation and in, of Christmas because you have these the red huh. and, the, and the green and there's kind of like, hey, this is why he was born. Like there's a little bit of foreshadowing or kind of intertextual or inner liturgical uh, connection there in a way. Hmm. All right, so let's talk about Monday Thursday. So, um Monday Thursday what we did was a um a combination of like a feast together. Uh, I should point out to you also that Lent ends officially on Maundy Thursday. Some people don't know that, but Lent ends there. And then there's almost like a, t- a tiny little space for feast there on Thursday night. And then you're back to fasting again on, on Good Friday again. Um, so let's talk about Maundy Thursday. So you were talking about the feast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still kind of like a small church plant. So we were able to do it more family style, mm. which is really mimicking what Christ did with his apostles in the upper room. And I thought that was a really cool addition um, to the Monday Thursday service. Uh, and it I, really was sort of like a Last Supper type feeling. Together. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. we spent like an hour just it, like not even a part of a service. We yeah. were just having a meal together. And it was um, beautiful. And there was lots of food. I mean, Elizabeth, you'd put a ton of time and energy into trying to make it look beautiful. So do you want to talk about that? um, I mean, I guess the idea behind it was the table was set. You know, the table was set and any who wanted to come could come and feast, you know. Mm. But I I think the thing that was beautiful about it for our community was that actually everybody helped set the food on the table. So Mm. a lot of the food was still in the kitchen. It was still in the oven. It was still, you know, making sure it was still hot. And people came and 
actually placed it on the table. So it felt less like a formal restaurant or something like that. And mm-hmm. it felt more just like, you know, like a family's getting together for Thanksgiving, you know, like there's mm-hmm. there's a holiday here and it's it's together. But it was it was really beautiful too because there was tablecloths and there was there was a candles and there was decor. Uh, there was some things caught on fire. Uh, the candle, the candles were a little bit precarious, uh, but we, we made it more of a venture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We probably should have had that fire extinguisher close by, huh? But thankfully, one of our first timers uh, put out a fire for us, which was good. For real? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Uh, that's really funny. Yeah. It, and we, we, uh, by the way, we we catered just a little bit of part of the meal was. Uh, uh, falafels from a local falafel place which is mm-hmm. really delicious and then we had a lot of mediterranean sort of right, food put out right. i mm-hmm. mean it really did kind of feel like a last supper when when you walked in it kind of felt like it was yeah. intimate it was the lights were a little bit dimmed it was mostly candlelit mm-hmm. and it was it was joyous and it was wonderful and there was a feeling of warmth in the room it, it was really cool too like i loved how we were feasting in the shadow of the altar hmm. and like there was this mm-hmm. a bit of like mirroring going on and it just occurred to me too, like how we even set up the table. It was kind of this big U, mm-hmm. and the place that was like empty, is actually where the altar was, like ten uh, feet away. So it's kind of like it completed this fellowship, this perfect mm-hmm. circle and stuff. It was very, almost like we planned it. Almost. That, that, I thought that was purposeful. <laughs> kind of. Well, we could also see the feast of food that we had laid out was parallel to the altar, yeah. right? Yeah. So like there that was, was sort of this, yeah, um, calling out of. I mean, food used to be sacramental for us, right? But now mm-hmm. food doesn't actually lead to any sort of substantial life. Um, but now we do have food that leads to substantial life. And you can see that it's sort of in the background. And it's like a foretaste of and, that. And there is something about the feasting on Mediterranean food where you're having wine and pita bread. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Like where that serves as like the staple of your meal. And then you move to the table. You're like, oh, of course. Like, it's just that, that the thickness of that connection is just very evident, I think. Mm-hmm. At least there it was on Thursday. And um, the palm fronds are still up, right? So there's still this feeling of, I mean, the great disappointment sort of hasn't hit yet. Like the great betrayal mm-hmm. hasn't hit yet. There's still this basking in the glow of Christ has come into Jerusalem. And, and like, there's still that sort of feeling there. Yeah. And, and, in histor- and historically, the Passover meal was this great celebration of God's act of redemption, the, the defining act in Israel's history of God freeing them from their oppressors. And in Jesus' time, the, here they are in, in Jerusalem, and the Roman the Romans are occupying. So it would have been a sort of volatile experience in Jerusalem with all these messianic expectations that somebody's going to overthrow. Mm-hmm. And of course, the very feeling of the Passover is kind of like a combination, I always say, between for us in America, Fourth of July with Thanksgiving meal. Like if you put those two events together, that's kind of like the feeling of like, you know, this, this sort of a little patriotism mixed with a little bit of like familial uh, joy and things like that all, all coming together. So that's what Jesus is experiencing. And interestingly, he eats the Passover meal with the 12 disciples. Uh, traditionally, Jewish people would eat the Passover meal with their family. And so in a sense, Jesus is saying, this is my family. Uh, who he was eating with. And in a sense, we were doing that too. We were together as a church family, uh, inviting others to come join us as well too. So so that was the first part of the service. And then we actually transitioned, well, it wasn't really, a, that isn't a service, I guess, but we transitioned into a service um, with um, that song, we, we, shall, we Will Feast in we the, will feast in the House, of house of Zion, yeah, yeah, which is sort of like, we just finished one feast, but we're really looking forward to, it's all in anticipation of the ultimate feast that we're, we're longing for. Uh, and then we began this, the next part of the service. So Kyle, why don't you tell us about that part? 
Uh, well, we really made it more of a standard service after that. Um, we did some scripture readings, and then Elizabeth Kuriokos gave us a message. Yeah, she talked about friendship. On friendship, and it was great. Um, yeah, jo- Joshua, you led the uh, the foot washing portion, so why don't you talk a little bit about that? No, it was um, it was actually my first time doing that in Anglican church, and uh, it's a bit weird, but in a good way. Like it's uh, it like that evening. It was interesting. Like I think we were really synced up when we were eating together, but then like there was like that sh- shift to the service where it was kind of like, oh, this is new, and I think, you know, it was like, okay, this is going on. But then it seemed like after the foot washing, like there was this real deep. Um, communion or intimacy mm-hmm. among the congregation as we came into um the rest of the service and came into the table mm-hmm. and uh it was just really sweet like um i got to see um fathers um washing their kids feet and vice versa and it was just like it was just really really beautiful and seeing people that um really didn't know each other actually some of them washing each other's feet and just that mutual uh, transparency and kind of openness, I think was really, really cool. Like it was a practice that really, th- that the practice of it did more than just washing feet. It really seemed to give a sense of intimacy and closeness in our community as we came to the table. And I thought that that was really cool. It, it breaks down um, the sense of autonomy that we all have. I mean, uh, if there's anything that we as Americans feel strongly about it's that like I can do it myself you know and so mm-hmm. uh, we all can wash our own feet and so coming in it wasn't out of the necessity of like we have dirty feet for us in this practice it was it felt like it was much more about breaking down the barriers of autonomy between us and the vulnerability of that experience I felt the whole room kind of like melted like opened mm-hmm. up in a sense mm-hmm. and it made the rest of the it set the, the course for the rest of the evening actually yeah. in some ways I mean I think that's the huge thing about the practice of foot washing is it's very vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable um, on both sides. Like there's mm-hmm. this sense of like, it's not comfortable to wash someone else's feet, but it's also not comfortable to like have someone else wash your feet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of bearing, you know, I, I, not many people like feet. It's kind of, they're kind of gross. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're saying like, here's some part of me that's probably like the grossest part of me. I'm bearing it for before you, you know, so that we can, you know, I mean, that's part of love is like showing who you really are, your ugly parts, and having someone say, I still love you, mm-hmm. that embrace, you know, and being willing to embrace the the ugly and weird parts of people and community, I think that practice kind of um, sums it up in a way. So from there, we transitioned back into a, um, a song, and then we really, from there, moved to the communion table. Um, and... Um, it was sort of a standard communion. I don't think there's anything special about it. Uh, it was special, but it wasn't. It wasn't. There wasn't anything different about it. Uh, and then following that, something happened that I think was one of the more dramatic moments in the week. And maybe one of you want to say something about that. Well, there, there's this stark transition basically that happens. There's sort of this feeling of warmth and right intimacy and vulnerability and trust in the room. Um, everyone sort of feels cradled in a way. And then in a moment um, during a reading, Kyle, do you want to say a little bit about the reading? Yeah, so we, right after the post-communion prayer, um, the celebrant sits down and then somebody stands up and goes to the to the lectern to do a reading from the Gospel of, I think it was John? Mm, I think it was Matthew. Was it Matthew? Yeah. Uh, it was the betrayal account. 
Mm-hmm. And I th- John Trammell read the betrayal account for us. And as he was reading it, um, we stripped the altar. We took down all of the decorations. So the palm fronds went away. Candles were blown out. The red fabric was ripped down and there was black fabric in its place. Yeah. And the, we have like this big Jesus icon. Um, there's a the, banner of Jesus. Yeah. And um, Ryan actually took that down in the most noisily fashion possible. So it, it was Purposefully. Purposefully. And, yeah. It was violent. Yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 it felt, it felt, it felt harsh. We, we want people yeah. to feel the violence all in the this moment. All the palm fronds that were on the table that were decorating the dinner table were taken off. All the candles were blown out. Um, we turned the lights down, turned the lights out, basically. Oh, yeah. It was dark, and Caravaggio's um, painting of the betrayal was yeah. up on the screen. And it's the a beautiful last... pa- painting. And then at at the end of the reading where it says, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And then the last candle, the reader's candle is blown out, and everyone yeah. sits in silence. And the and the altar is covered in black, mm-hmm. and then we, we move the cross directly in front of the altar. Uh, so it forces us to start to think about the crucifixion. It was chilling. It was. There there were people emotionally uh, like like expressive multiple, in the multiple room. Multiple people were crying, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think because it caught people by surprise. I don't think people even realized what was happening. And it was so stark, which is exactly what we, we hoped for, actually. It was well, probably, it's exactly what the story was, right? Yeah, they yeah, were in yeah. the upper room, and they were having this Well, then, And then they went, well, to, they the went to the garden. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden, there was there's all these people with torches and swords and it's over. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Repeatedly that's Monday, Thursday has always been probably one of my, I, th- I think the stripping of the altar has been for me, probably one of the most emotional uh, times of Holy week. Hmm. Like in my old parish where they'd slam the door of the little um, uh, tabernacle. tabernacle where you keep the reserve and you'd, you know, they'd strip the altar and then they'd even get like a sponge and they'd start to scrub it. And you could see how it looks like, um, mm-hmm. uh, like the tomb, you know, mm-hmm. and you just, um, yeah, it's just so the contrast between Monday, Thursday, the, the fact that we're celebrating love and this is where mm-hmm. Christ gives his greatest commandment to love one another and praise his priestly high priestly prayers. And there's this intimacy, but then with intimacy, there's the possibility of betrayal and there's just something so close to the gospel there Mm -hmm. where by creating humanity because of the overflowing love of the trinity he made the possibility or the very real possibility of betrayal and just that how love and betrayal go go so closely together Mm -hmm. but are so contrastive i think in that night you really feel like this the warm and fuzzies of fellowship but then the bitterness of of sin and brokenness and betrayal and there's just the whole gamut of emotions. Yeah, I love that what you're saying because betrayal can only happen if you let somebody into your heart. Yeah, and the that, vulnerability of it. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly you let somebody, you know, touch your touch your feet or whatever, and all of a sudden, all the intimacy is out of the room here. You know, it's like everything's gone, everything's lost. I actually mm-hmm. felt like the community was still very much together, but we started the descent together. Yeah, you know, like it was I, actually solidarity in this experience of it, the betrayal. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, like I everybody really just sat in the silence, you know, and it was just this feeling of shock. And then the next part of it was interesting because uh, there wasn't a dismissal like, oh, now it's over. Now we can talk and go out. It was over. And then right, what just something people came up on the screen saying, yeah, yeah, the service has ended. Yeah. And then what we did is we began cleaning the space because we were going to have a chance for people to pray longer afterwards. And mm. it was a really interesting experience to me because everybody began cleaning, but it was quiet cleaning. Like, Usually and when people a, are doing that, everyone's talking to each other and chatting, but it was like a sacred moment. We can't break this. And a lot of people, I mean, 
I don't think the entire community signed up for teardown that night. But, but everybody did it. But everybody did it. Yeah. yeah, there really was this feeling of we're in this together and 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 we're in this betrayal together. We're we're in yeah. this this starkness together. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the evening, this is something that I specifically requested we do is we, we, we created a space where people could spend more time in prayer, like a prayer vigil for Good Friday. And uh, a number of people had to go home and after, after, you know, after all the cleanup and everything, it was pretty late already. But there was actually a, like a sweeter and sweeter sense of like longing and prayer that developed as the evening went along. And we were there till about 11, I think, um, and just really started interceding for each other and for the church and for the world. And uh, it was it was actually one of the high points of the week for me was that mm. that prayer vigil experience of staying there in the evening. It's where Jesus says, you know, He's in the garden. We're kind of reenacting that the whole experience there, a little bit out of order, but where Jesus says um, to his disciples, couldn't you stay awake even for an hour? Um, and then, you know. To which I responded, no, I didn't go home to sleep. <laughs> well, you also had opened at six that morning at the coffee shop, right? Yeah, I was, yeah, it was a um, long day. But anyway, it was it was really special. All right, so let's move to Good Friday, though. Let's talk about the, the next day. So Good Friday really is still a continuation in that starkness and yeah. in that, Yeah. Well, and here's one thing that I liked. So we really, we tried to ask people to to think about taking the day off uh, on Good Friday from work so they could really lean into this experience of Thursday, Thursday night and Friday. And a number of people did that. And I would just, you know, if any of our people are listening. I was so encouraged by that. I yeah. was so encouraged. It was really wonderful. It felt like we were on this journey together. It wasn't like now we're back to work the next day, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't do anything during the day. And maybe next year we'll think of some activity or something if people need something to do. But I thought it was fine to have space. I thought it was actually really appropriate just to, I mean, this is the moment where he's, I, I thought it was really appropriate actually just for people to have time to reflect and contemplate. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, yeah, I mean, contemplation, the Stations of the Cross started at yeah, 6.45. Yeah. I think next year, something that I'd love to, because I didn't fi- uh, find out about this practice until like um, early in the morning on Friday, but um, some families um, on different like ministry blogs, and actually a lot of uh, Catholic um, family blogs talk about how to practice Holy Week and uh, Good Friday as a family. Hmm. You know, what can you do as a whole family? Because you know, sometimes young kids can't fast that the whole day and different mm-hmm. stuff like that. And they um, encouraged from the time of 12 to 3 o'clock, um, observing a time of silence as a family, hmm. turning off music, turning off TV, mm-hmm. um, not just sitting in a room quiet, but maybe, you know, do quiet activities or something so kids can feel the weight of these holy hours when Christ uh, hung on the cross. And yeah. I thought, man, that, that'd be really cool. I think that's a great practice to, to put in place for all of us, not just for families, but just so our listeners know, Jesus was crucified around noon, and then yeah. he died around three. So that's why that three-hour block is yeah. the specific point. And so that, that's the only thing that I'd change is like, man, I wish I would have known that. So we yeah. could have invited people as they were taking the day off to enter into an intentional time of silence. That's or, a great idea. You know, Let's do that next year for sure. Yeah, It's also traditional um, on Good Friday not to eat. Mm-hmm. So similar mm-hmm. to Ash Wednesday, there's sort of this, I mean, it's, it's a it's a holy day, but it's also a really tragic day. It's, yeah. it's a day of death. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we did encourage people to fast. So the last meal that you that you would have eaten before the Good Friday service is the Monday Thursday. Is feast. the Monday Thursday feast? Yeah. yeah. So literally uh, a Last Supper for twenty four hours. Yeah. yeah. Which is good having like Mediterranean food like like a really good pre fasting <laughs> carb loading like power carb loading on. Yeah. for that. Because uh, I, I hate fasting. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think coming... I mean, it's good, but I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I think coming into Good Friday, it felt like a funeral. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like you were walking to a space that was... Uh, it felt like somebody had died. So right. we set it all up with... We had the we had 14 stations at the cross. And these are actually the new stations that were commissioned by uh, Pope Benedict the, uh, the 16th, um, which are not sort of the... Um, the old traditional ones that don't don't have like that there's a lot of the, the older stations they're not really based on scripture uh they're based on on interesting traditional ideas about jesus falling and someone helping him this and that so these ones actually walked through the biblical story and we had about 45 minutes from 6 45 to 7 30 for people to be able to go through and contemplate and there was candles at each of the station and things like that and then mm-hmm. we had contemplative music playing but it was sort of darkened uh and sacred space and then at 7.30, we began our Tenebrae service. And at that point, we took out all the light in the room except for the seven candles we had lit on the the altar, altar which was still covered with black linens from um, being stripped on Monday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cross was laid against the altar. That's right. We, we processed the cross, which, which during the stations of the cross, we had had people hammer their sins and sorrows and griefs and little pieces of paper onto the cross and we put that in front leaning against the the altar mm. and then uh yeah let's talk about the tenebrae service what, what did you guys something like like you said earlier how much it felt a bit like a funeral like that was something that was i kind of almost lost it during the service at one point because i kind of looked around and it felt like everybody was vested in funeral garb mm-hmm. and it was just so powerful like just that that weight because you kind of I mean I think most people have been to a funeral and you have that weight and that sense of like loss and despair or just sadness Mm -hmm. and then just looking around and seeing everybody dress that way because I mean Mm -hmm. usually on you know any given Sunday the three of us are usually vested in symbolic clothes kind of you know to celebrate you know what we're doing but actually seeing pretty much everybody in a way vested in a way that just really triggered for me like wow like we're together the the that we're together in this, but also just the solemnness of, of the Tenebrae service of Good Friday. Just like, man, like, yeah. And, and the point of the Tenebrae service is more to experience it than it is to just talk about it. Cause a lot of times at ch- church services, you kind of talk about an event, but this is an attempt to enter into an experience of that. And so, um, that's what we did. We had readings, um, kind of corresponding with music back and forth. Um, and, it was it was beautiful. Uh, Kyle, you preached a homily on the meaning of the crucifixion, which was sort of our one kind of talky moment of like explaining, but it really was more of an experience itself too. Even the homily was experiential mm. in that. Um, and then kind of at the climax of the service, we went into the reader's theater experience of retelling the story of Good Friday through John 18 and 19. And in the final movement of that, we had um, Katie Lilly and Mike Smith uh, sing uh, P.A. Yesu from Andrew Ludweber's Requiem. And we had a we had hired a uh, cellist to come for the night. And it was stunning. It was so oh, beautiful. That was, that was the most was, beautiful part of the service. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could say it was my sermon, but <laughs> P.A. Yesu. Oh, P.A. Yesu is still the show. Yeah. yeah, that needs to be a tradition as well. That was... It was incredible. And, and it was nice having both the Latin and the English on the projectors, you can actually understand what was going on. Because I had heard that song before. Mm. Like, oh, this is really beautiful. And obviously, it's about Jesus and him eating pie or something, I guess. <laughs> by um, Jesus. By Jesus. Uh, but actually, like, seeing the lyrics and uh, 
just understanding like the whole movement of that um, merciful Jesus. Just oh, it was. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we are blessed with some incredible singers. Yeah. At Eucharist. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was really good. Elizabeth did help with the music that night, and it was really, really beautiful music that we all entered into sort of congregational singing for some of it. It was some of the best singing of the year too. People really entered into that mm-hmm. as well too. And then, okay, so then following the 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 final movement of that was the, the reading of Jesus dying. And then we entered into silence together. Standing. Standing, which was interesting. It felt like a long time. It did feel long. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the, one of the key pieces of the tenebrae is you end with this sort of startling noise. And uh, so we had <laughs> prepared for this. So uh, Kyle and I went up front and we had... Uh, books we were going to drop on the stage and not then... just books they were bibles <laughs> <laughs> sure wasn't going to reveal that <laughs> um and then um we had big pieces of paper uh that several people had and so what happened is that it... that were not bibles by the way they were not bibles no we weren't tearing bibles uh then we so we tore the paper sort of symbolizing the curtain being torn and then dropping the books and it was very loud and startling it was it was sort of like yeah i don't know how to say it, it was it was disturbing in a sense um, and it, it just gave us this sense that a, there's a kind of finality, but also the story is not over. There's, there's something still happening. There's, there's noises, even though Jesus has already died in the story, something's still happening. And mm. that leads us into the, the next phase. So yeah, my friend who was at that service commented a few times afterwards, like in the weeks to follow. And he was like, that was so powerful. Just the ending of the service. Uh, so it, it really affected him, and I think in a powerful, good way. And once again, there was no dismissal. People, there was just a sense the service is over, and then people left in darkness and mm-hmm. quietness. And there is something really interesting and nice about darkness in a church. You know what I mean? Like I think with the Holy Week services we see it in um, our uh, Monday Thursday service, Good Friday service, like not being afraid of darkness mm-hmm. and not trying to cover it up with smoke machines or light shows. Like just saying like we worship the light of the world, but sometimes facing the darkness makes us appreciate light all the more. Like there's mm-hmm. something about that. Cause I think in our personal lives and just in society, we like to avoid uncomfortable things, darkness, you know, mm-hmm. and being able to embrace, um, not embrace or confront, I should say darkness in a holy space. Um, and intentionally mm-hmm. it's just a really great reminder of the hope of Easter. Like just that, the contrast of it, I think is so great. I didn't say also, everyone who was there knows this, but we, throughout the service, you extinguish the seven candles until there's nothing left. There's a, there's darkness left mm-hmm. in, the, in that. And that's part of the story is that, the, you know, for, for what are we here, but to, to lament the, the, the snuffing out of the light of the world. Also, technically at the end, you're supposed to relight a candle, which, which mm-hmm. we didn't do, but it's also still that, something's going on behind the scenes, like yeah. Christ has died. Um, and yet also in that moment, death is defeated as soon as Christ has died because death cannot contain yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Death cannot contain the logos itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move to... Yeah, well, I love... One more thing. No, I just love how those services um, dovetail where you have the progressive kind of like um, extinguishing of candles. Mm-hmm. And then you start back up with the Easter vigil. Okay, so let's start talk with about fire, that, yeah. And then there's a gradual lighting, and there's just, just beautiful just kind of movement between those two services. Yeah, so you sort of start with brightness and light in, on Palm Sunday, and you move towards declining light, and Good Friday gets the darkest, right? Mm-hmm. And then you come back in at Easter vigil, and there's candlelight again, but it really starts outside. Um, well, it starts outside with this, like, bonfire of sorts. Yeah. Which um, we took the 
We There's, almost lit under a canopy and caught the entire building on fire. No, but no, no, no. Fortunately, Ryan saw it. We didn't do that. <laughs> we did not. Do Ryan caught it before yeah. we lit the fire. No, um, but there's this beautiful aspect of, you know, all the sins that were nailed to the cross were then placed in the fire and burned. Mm-hmm. And it was from this fire, this kind of atoning fire, this, this burning fire of love, fire of love yeah. um, that we then go and we light the rest of the candles. And we light the Easter candle, and from that candle, all the other candles. And it's just it's, there's something very symbolic about that. Well, there's also the, beautiful. There's also in the story that Peter betrayed Jesus at a charcoal fire, mm-hmm. and so he actually is redeeming us at a charcoal fire, mm. uh, which I think is a kind of cool way to bring yourself back in. So we light this big tall candle called the Paschal candle. It's about three feet tall, and then we processed in, and at several points we stopped and we said, "What was it? The, the light of." Light the, the light of Christ, and yeah. then everybody responds, "Thanks be to God." Yeah, that was cool too. We were processing. Yeah, it was a silent procession. Yeah. yeah. So then we came in. You know, let's talk through that service. Kyle, why don't you lead us through that one a bit? Well, I think, uh, like the overview of the service, you see like a gradual procession or progression towards uh, Jesus's resurrection. So you start at the beginning of the service with uh, the acc- the opening acclamation that we use throughout Lent, which is "Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins," and then. Once we get to the baptism, we say, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm. And then right after the baptism, um, after um, what after you sprinkled us with water to remember our baptism, the celebrant gets up in front of the altar and he says, alleluia, Christ is risen, which is the acclamation that we, we use throughout Easter season. So there's like the slow this progression. This is the first alleluia since the beginning of Lent. Yeah. It's been buried for 40 days. Yeah. And yeah. so it's super joyous. Yeah. All right, so we got to back up a little bit here. So we come in, we sit down, and then we hear the the story of salvation. There's actually, I think, in the Book of Common Prayer, there's like nine texts you're supposed oh, to read. Ten, I think. Ten, it's yeah. a lot, whatever. We chose four of them and started with Genesis and moved through the story of Israel, and then we entered into a service of baptism when we had Hannah Smith being baptized well, for us. So. And those readings really are—I mean, they're Old Testament sort of foretellings of of this experience that, that mm-hmm. we are experiencing that night, this experience mm-hmm. of death and resurrection, like Ezekiel's Valley of Dry Bones, mm-hmm. like the tribe of Israel going through the Red Sea, which in a sense is sort of a baptism, right? It's, going, our, our, it's our being led into and, the promised and land. And Abraham yeah. being led to offer Isaac, which is also yeah. sort of a death and resurrection. Right? Yeah. All, yeah, all of, yeah, all of these are pointing towards They're something. powerful readings. Or God, God's spirit hovering over the face of the waters at creation, yeah. right? Like there's all these like feelings of like, all right, now is the fulfillment of all these things that have come before us for millennia. Now is the mm-hmm. fulfillment of this people's story. And and we are a part of that story. Yeah. We are and there's no sermon, that. yeah. We just feast no. on these on these readings. Mm-hmm. So then there's the baptism. Then when we begin and baptism is it, we could do a whole thing on baptism another time, but and it by was baptism. We're saying somebody in our congregation was baptized. Yeah, <laughs> we're not yeah, saying that yeah. all of us went and jumped in a <laughs> baptismal font together yeah. or something. Um, we so did well, have kind of. Yeah. We did have. A, <laughs> we did have a um, uh, a large feed trough that we made into a baptistry and made, it made it quite beautiful actually. Yeah, and Hannah like, Smith was baptized that night. Yeah, and it was a really beautiful experience. The baptismal liturgy itself is really powerful. And then as she is getting dried off uh, from her being submerged under the waters and um we should also say easter vigil is typically the time when someone is baptized yeah that's a traditional so th- yeah, this traditional, is a traditional yeah. thing um because also easter vigil 
I mean, we told our congregants, you know, this, you, you get two Easter's this year, Easter Vigil and Easter, you know, but actually Easter Vigil is sort of that secret moment in the tomb mm-hmm. when, you know, breath comes back into the body or like when actually like the resurrected Christ is there again, right? Yeah. Like there's yeah. this and, that and that's moment. I, because yeah. Jewish people tell time from the night to the, the day starts in the night. Mm-hmm. And so on the third day would be on Saturday night sometime for us, you know. I always tell right. people that they're cheating on Easter if they don't go to the Easter Vigil. Ah, I like it. That's mm-hmm. good. So actually somebody being baptized at the Easter Vigil is so appropriate because that baptism yeah. is the moment of this person's new rebirth into Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to be baptized at the Easter Vigil is to be in concert with, with the actual story. And just, you know, as is customary at every Anglican baptism is one person or more is baptized, but all of us recommit ourselves and re renew our baptismal vows, which is just yeah. such a gift to be able to do on e- the Easter vigil. Yeah. You know, totally, totally. Yeah. I, and then, and then my, I think maybe my favorite moment of the whole week, <laughs> I, I had this thing called an aspergillium, which is basically like a, like a thing you dip in water and, 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 and you use it to like spray people with, or like you, you kind of like fling your wrist and, um, people get wet with it. So, uh, this is a, one of the, the the priest's favorite toy. So basically, I got to like get everybody wet with it. I could go out in the audience and say, "Remember your baptism," and throw throw the water on people as they were going on. Well, there. it's not just random water that Ryan got from the sink. It's after the water after the baptismal waters are blessed, then it's holy water. It's become sacramental, and so then Ryan sprays the congregation with this water. I think my, one of my favorite moments was Elizabeth told me on the front row, she's like, you haven't gotten Craig. And Craig was the guy running PowerPoint. And so I dipped the aspergillium in the thing. And then I drilled him right in the head with like a, a hose full of water. I didn't know how much I got. And he was like, whoa, what happened? Just my, my favorite part was when you were walking down the aisle and Ben stopped you and dipped his hand in the in the bucket and then sprayed you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, anyway, and then, okay, so then we once we finished the whole baptis- baptismal part of the liturgy, um, Hannah, who got baptized, came back in and read Romans 6 for us. She changed into a white dress, yeah. right? So she was in dark clothing yeah. for the baptism, changed into a white dress. And and then the moment came where, Joshua, you declared... Well, she also, right before that, though, she got to drink some milk sweetened with honey. That's right. We had to... The it wasn't date honey, which is actually what Jewish people would have Oh, been. Kyle. <laughs> um, Symbolic a, of the promised land. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, th- so then you declared... Alleluia, he has risen. And we screamed to the top of our lungs, like, he has risen indeed, Alleluia, Alleluia. And we started. And the li- bells start. Yeah, the bells went a... nuts. Which and is then great. there's a quick costume change, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, so, so just like on Monday Thursday, we went from like the celebration to the darkness on the Great Easter Vigil, we go the exact opposite direction. But not the same direction. So on Monday Thursday, we go from red to black. On the Easter Vigil, we go from black to gold. Mm-hmm. Now it's Easter. Now mm-hmm. he is risen. So the lights went on, the icon went back up again. The Easter lilies come out. The altar is set, yeah. It was holy chaos, as we called it. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was. Yeah. The lights get turned on. Did we say that? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was so joyful, yeah. Yeah. Mm. The bells, man. I really, really like that. So, Kyle, do you want to tell us about the bell tradition? Because I think you're the one who introduced that. Uh, I don't really know what like the tradition of it is, but all I know is that throughout Lent, we don't say alleluia. Uh, and you start to feel the gravity and the weight of that, especially uh, as the, the longer you get into it. Mm. Um, and so at Easter, when Christ is risen and we say Alleluia, it's traditional that you ring bells to bring in uh, the resurrection. And bells, I think, symbolically mean like a mystery is happening. Mm-hmm. And so every single time we ring a bell, we're we're acknowledging the mystery of the resurrection. Um, 
mm-hmm. which is it's why like, it fits in the liturgy sometimes we off well sometimes we do it on high holy days yeah. where we'll have the bells ringing yeah at the points where we're like when, when jesus says this is my body or this is this is my blood we're like ring the bell yeah because yeah. it's a mystery yeah. mysteries happen yeah. it makes also, it a party it does yeah. and it's often i mean so mysteries happening but also um christ is present and there's a sense of like and that's why we like genuflect during that time and so there's this aspect of in easter when you're ringing the bells there's this mis- there's a mystery happening but there's also this sense of like christ is risen christ is here he's no longer in the grave like, it's a joyful a, mystery then. it's kind of yeah. yeah and it ties back into um what we do on those holy hol- days with uh with the bells and by ringing the bells we mean every congregant got a bell and they would just start ringing the bell <laughs> so like literally yeah just this was, was this was everybody's bells. first time with the bells and yeah. i think we were confused on how they worked yeah. uh you're yeah. usually you only ring them uh, alleluia yeah uh, but we were just ringing them all throughout the, it went, the song it, it was fun yeah. but <laughs> i forgot to say too earlier that we, part of the transition back to light was that we all had candles and we lit candles around the yeah, room it was a slow oh but we, it was cool because um we got it from the Paschal, the Paschal candle, and the newly baptized, newly illuminated Hannah was the one that actually started passing the light, the light to all yeah. of us, which was just really cool. Yeah, it was great. So anyway, that service ends uh, in joy, and then um, we came back the next morning. And one of the things I love about doing the Great Easter Vigil is that we've already been initiated into Easter, and now it's just like open Full the floodgates. Let's just go nuts with celebration. celebration. Yeah, yeah, like just. And so we did that, and uh, we did have a little more um, guidance about how to use the bells on Sunday morning, which was probably helpful. Um, and Sunday morning was it was really f- very joyful. It was it was yeah. it was wonderful. Uh, Elizabeth went nuts with the flowers, and I told her it either looked like a state funeral or like a wedding, and which is actually appropriate. Yeah, it was sort of like the combination. It was like tons of tons of flowers, and it looked really beautiful. And then. Um, it was kind of a standard service in the sense that, I mean, there's nothing standard about about Easter, but every Sunday is Easter in some sense. And so we... There wasn't anything unique in the service that isn't there on another Sunday besides the bells and... Yeah. The bells and the, yeah. and the, and the prayers. And that was a huge relief because trying to keep straight all of these services yeah. is so stressful. And then you come to Sunday and it's just like much more relaxing because yeah. you just fall into the rhythm of it. Yeah. Well, I loved coming into this Easter because it really felt... I mean, on Saturday night, I told Ryan, no matter how Easter goes, I mean, our community has just traveled the Easter story and it really feels like Easter is just Mm -hmm. the culmination of that it's not it wasn't a performance it wasn't Mm -hmm. it was kind of like the opposite of a performance Um, it really was we've all done this together and and we're coming out the other side of it you know and then as we began the service I remember you said Elizabeth you said uh, perfection is the enemy of joy which was quoting Schmemann Alexander Schmemann who we talk about here quite a bit and then we entered into the service, and of course, nothing was perfect in the service at all. But it was and very it, joyful. Yeah, it was very <laughs> joyful. But especially like right in the middle of the service, the projector went kaput, completely died. I feel like that was the only imperfection, though. Like, what else? What else went wrong? Well, Kyle, immediately after Christ Lord is risen today, you said, "Now we're going to set." Oh well, yeah. Joyful, joyful came on the screen. That's, yeah, <laughs> those are minor. That's minor, normal. Minor details. I always do stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to expect this. Kyle's very joyful. Yeah. But it was it was a great service, and um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. We had following that whole that whole service, we had an incredible refreshments that that 
uh, our community put together, mostly Diana, I think, who did a lot of the work mm-hmm. on that. And yeah. so she goes all out. And anyway, it was great. I feel like some of my previous experiences in non-liturgical, non-liturgical churches for Easter is everyone's like, all right, make Easter like this big thing. But it felt like the big thing had already happened. It felt like it was already there in all of Holy Week. Mm. And it really was just like a celebration. I, yeah, I felt... The interesting thing with like Holy Week and specifically this last Holy Week was being reminded that every Sunday we we celebrate Easter and how like, yeah, we had just gone through this journey of Holy Week and it seemed not like a lit down, but kind of like a here we are journeying and now we've arrived at someplace that's familiar, but now has another layer of meaning. Does that make sense? And so there's like this sense of like familiarity, but there's not a sense of like, this is unique. This is new. There's not a novel excitement there's a familiar excitement and joy if that makes sense i have a metaphor for this so you know we we live here in the bay area where we've had a number of we've been blessed to have a number of our sports teams win championships recently so like when the warriors won a couple years ago when they won the game they had won they they had already won the championship at that point but then like three days later they do they do like a parade through downtown and it feels to me like the great easter vigil is like winning the game and then Sunday morning is like the parade that happens exactly. downtown That's three good. days later. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like it really did feel like nothing on Easter was dependent on us. Like yeah. it, it's done. It's finished. Like, and yeah. actually like it wasn't about us. Like Christ did it. Like yeah. it's done. And we now just get to, we get to glory in that. You know, yeah. Get to, yeah. Sorry. What were you saying? No. So, yeah, anyway, it was really great, great day. We had an Easter egg hunt for the kids uh, afterwards. And, uh, and then the clergy went home and rested. And that was wonderful. So uh actually not not really you went over to a party at the lily's place the after party and then uh yeah. we i went, went to a party you went to a party and then we went to visit my my family up up in placerville so yeah, but play hide and go seek with her niece and nephew yeah um but the next week is bright week um yeah. which is you're actually not allowed to fast and ryan and i took full advantage of that <laughs> yeah. the scale is not lying in every yeah. way possible mm-hmm. we just Eat, chocolate, chocolate at every meal. Mm-hmm. Um, we were fasting from dessert for lunch. So, um, yeah, good but, times. Yeah. Good times. Dessert for breakfast. Yeah. Mm. All right. So let's talk for just a minute as we wrap this up here about what, what really, what was the significance of going through this whole experience? And we've kind of walked through the whole thing, but why did it, why did it matter for us to do this? Well, even before we get into that, I just want to say like how, just how like ecstatic I am that so much of our um, community participated in all of Holy Week. Yeah. Like it was, you know, when you do this, when you're asking people to come out on a Thursday and on a Friday on like a weeknight. And they're traveling from an hour away. Some people are coming multiple directions. Ways, and some people have kids. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. And to see so many people consistently. I mean, there was, I mean, there was a, I think the majority of our um, parish were at every single service yeah. of Holy Week. Yeah. Which is just insane. was just insane to me. Like I, um, yeah, I was just so proud of our, our, um, our parish and mm-hmm. it was just, there was something about that, like the camaraderie of Holy Week and doing that was just, I was, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. I felt that same thing. I felt like it re- we really did go on a pilgrimage together. It wasn't, it wasn't just a series of events. It was like a journey. And I felt like by the end of it, I, I felt closer to the people who were in our church. I felt like there was that sense that we are a family that has gone on a, on a journey together. So I love that. Mm, yeah. I think some of the meaning behind it is, I mean, liturgy really inscribes meaning and purpose into us in a way that's not reasonable. That's not just at an information level. It's on an intuitive, it's on a physical habitual level. And to really 
enact what is our meaning, what is our identity as a people mm -hmm. to inscribe that onto ourselves collectively. I mean, that's that's basically what, what we did during Holy Week, mm -hmm. you know? Like, it wasn't just an individual thing. It was a no, 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 like we are a people. <laughs> like like we, yeah. are, we are passing through this together. This is inscribed onto our bodies because we are all the body of Christ. And this mm -hmm. is what the body of Christ endured in this week. Like Joshua said, kind of a hearkening to the incarnation through the procession, through the, you know, the, remember this is my body broken for you through the crucifixion, the right, like through the resurrection, like, and that is our story because we are his body. Mm -hmm. And so like it, it really... And I mean, that is a that is a level that needs to be acted out, right? Like even mm -hmm. bodily, it needs to be bodily done. It needs to be bodily incarnate. People have to be there. They can't just be reading their Bible silently at home alone. Mm -hmm. It's physical. I, I also felt like it, it was different to do five, uh, the five services we did than like say we did five productions of like a show or something like that. It was, it was a very different experience than that mm -hmm. uh, because liturgy is the work of the people. It was a, it's a, it wouldn't matter. What we did wouldn't, wouldn't mean anything if people didn't come and enter into the experience. And so it was the entering into, even at the level of like setup and cleanup and rules and uh, the processions and the fabric and, you know, the, the food and the flowers, all these mm -hmm. things came together to be a communal experience for a whole week rather than just a series of like productions we were putting on for the public or something yeah you know? I mean I was so impressed with how people really stayed afterwards and came early mm -hmm. you know um I think, yeah yeah I, th yeah I think there was a what's that term communica or communitas mm -hmm. that was formed a bit there was this kind of like going on a short-term mission trip or going to camp or this, this type of community that was kind of forming during holy week yeah. that I think um will has and hopefully continue to change our community for the better that will kind of continue to bind us together mm -hmm. any other kind of take-homes for us for the for this week anything that we think is important for us to to do in the future i mean this is just sort of a thought that's lingering in my mind but philip reif talks about positive communities versus negative communities and positive communities are ones that actually heal individuals and heal people um, by incorporating them into the community. And a positive community is one where people donate themselves to the communal identity. And I feel like that's what our congregation did this week. You know, um, mm. it wasn't the converse of that would be sort of an experience where people come to a performance and take what they individually need and go home. But I feel like the opposite happened. People traveled, people brought their little ones, people really mm -hmm. invested themselves in the week at cost mm -hmm. but actually became more incorporated into Christ's communal identity that's great yeah I feel like next year now that we've gone through this cycle as a church we're going to be able to do it even more enter even in more deeply into it and invite others to come along grab them pull them on our arms and say let's let's do this together um, and really lean into it so I'm I just love the traditions we've begun, which really aren't mostly ours. They're just, we're borrowing them from the great tradition, but they're becoming our own personal um, Eucharist community traditions as well now. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Tune in next time for more from the Eucharist Podcast.